Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? This is a wonderful week, holy week. Um, Not wonderful, I should say, for our Lord, um, because the entire week is his walk uh, to Jerusalem. Um, Well, actually, he came to Jerusalem yesterday on Palm Sunday and was hailed Hosanna, meaning God saves, Hosanna in the highest. And... um, Palm branches were strewn before him as before a king that was prophesied in the Old Testament that the king would come riding on a, uh, an ass and on the, on the colt um, and he would be claimed the Messiah. So they claimed him as Messiah and he was king of the Jews, but it was much of that same crowd that called for his crucifixion the following um, Friday. So it's a great celebration yesterday, but for me it's always tremendously sad knowing that those same people will betray him less than a week later. Um, and all of this week is first class. Today is Monday of Holy Week, and um, what I thought we would do instead of continuing with this as the faith is um, a look at Dom Garanger. Uh, often I turn to him because we're Benedictine and he was Benedictine, the first abbot of St. Peter's in, um, in Salem, France, and um, uh, restored Gregorian chants to your Euro- uh, chant to Europe um, and um, brought the Benedictine order back in full um, and has a wonderful 15 year, 15 volume rather commentary. Um, on the liturgical year, which is truly wonderful. And he's written for each day of Holy Week. And we came from Holy Mass this morning, but um, for those of you who have not been able to go to Mass this morning, um, this uh, today's reading is the sequel of the Holy Gospel according to St. John in chapter 12. And let me just read it. Jesus six days before the Pasch, that's the Passover, came to Bethania, which is Bethany, where Lazarus had been dead, whom Jesus raised to life. And they made him a supper there, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that were at table with him. Mary therefore took a pound of ointment, of right spikenard, of great price, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the anointment, of the ointment, rather. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, he that was about to betray our Lord, said, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? Now he said this not because he cared for the poor, 
but because he was a thief and having the purse carried the things that were put therein. Jesus therefore said, let her alone that she may keep it against the day of my burial. For the poor you have always with you, but me you have not always. A great multitude, therefore, of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Hold on one moment. And Dom Geringer writes in, in, as a reflection on that um, beautiful reading, Mary Magdalene, he says, whose conversion was the subject of our meditation a few days ago, is a prominent figure in the passion and resurrection of her divine master. She is the type of a soul that has been purified by grace and then admitted to the enjoyment of God's choicest favors. It is important that we should study her in each of the several phases through which divine grace led her. We have already seen how she keeps close to her Savior and supplies his sacred wants. Elsewhere, we shall find Jesus giving the preference to her over her sister Martha, and this because Mary chose a better part than Martha. But now during these days of Passion Tide, It is her tender love of Jesus that makes her dear to us. She knows that the Jews are plotting Jesus' death. The Holy Ghost, who guides her through the different degrees of perfection, inspires her on the occasion mentioned in today's Gospel with the performance of an action which prophesies what she most dreads. One of the three gifts offered by the Magi to the divine infant was myrrh, and it is an emblem of death. And the gospel tells us that it was used at the burial of our Lord. Magdalene, on the day of her conversion, testified the earnestness of her change of heart by pouring on the feet of Jesus the most precious of her perfumes. She gives him today the same proof of her love, Her divine master is invited by Simon the leper to a feast. His blessed mother and his disciples are among the guests. Martha is busy, looking after the service. Outwardly, there is no disturbance, but inwardly, there are sad forebodings. During the repast, Magdalene is seen entering the room, holding in her hand a vase of precious spikenard, She advances toward Jesus, kneels at his feet, anoints them with the perfume, and wipes them with her hair as on the previous occasion. Jesus lay on one of those couches which were used by the Eastern people during their repasts. Magdalene, therefore, could easily take her favorite place at his feet and give him the same proof of her love as she had already done in the Pharisee's house. The evangelist does not say that this time she shed her tears. St. Matthew and St. Mark add that she poured the ointment on his head also. Whether or not Magdalene herself understood the full import 
of what the Holy Ghost inspired her to do, the gospel does not say. But Jesus himself revealed the mystery to his disciples. And we gather from his words that his action, this action of Magdalene, was in a certain manner the commencement of his passion. She, in pouring this ointment upon my body, said our Lord, hath done it for my burial. End quote from our Lord. The fragrance of the ointment fills the whole house. One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, dares to protest against this waste, as he calls it. His base avarice deprives him of feeling and, feeling and respect for his divine master. His opinion is shared in by several of the other disciples, for they are still carnal-minded. For several reasons, Jesus permits Magdalene's generosity to be thus blamed. And firstly, he wishes to announce his approaching death, which is mystically expressed by the pouring of this ointment upon his body. Then, too, he would glorify Magdalene. And he therefore tells those who are present that her tender and ardent love shall be rewarded and that her name shall be celebrated in every country wheresoever the gospel shall be preached. Shall be preached. And lastly, he would console those who gener- whose generous love prompts them to be liberal in their gifts to his altars. For what he here says of Magdalene, in reality, is a defense for them when they are accused of spending too much over the beauty of God's house. Let us prize each of these divine teachings. Let us love to honor Jesus, both in his own person and in his poor. Let us honor Magdalene and imitate her devotion to the passion and death of our Lord. In fine, let us prepare our perfumes for our divine master. There must be the myrrh of the Magi, which signifies penance, and the precious spike nard of Magdalene, which is the emblem of generous and compassionating love. Our holy priest this morning um, at Holy Mass, who um, read this passage, um, uh, commented that as Jews um, um, complaining that the the money for the precious perfume that Mary Magdalene poured out completely on Jesus could have been used for the poor. God wants us to help the poor, but first, our homage is to God, that we pour out everything we have to love and honor God, even before the poor. He is worthy of our all, and we hold back nothing in the churches. That's why they have gold, and that's why the vestments and everything must be very, very beautiful and, yes, expensive. We pour out everything, as did Magdalene, in love and adoration for our Lord, who is worthy of our all. Beloved, there's the music for our break, and you're welcome to call in throughout the entire program, toll-free, 1-877-511-511. 
1-800-273-5483 or email. We'll be right back. This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for April 11th. Today we celebrate Saint Stanislaus. Those who denounce corruption in high places often paid for their integrity with their lives. That was the fate of today's saint. Born in Poland in 1030, Stanislaus was educated at home and abroad before being ordained. Appointed Bishop of Krakow at age 42, he devoted himself to clergy reform, preaching, and helping the poor. Stanislaus took firm stands against King Boleslaus' treatment of his subjects as well as his immoral lifestyle. Initially, the king made a public show of penance, but he soon returned to his old ways. Stanislaus remained resolute in his denunciations, determined not to be taken in by the king's performance. Ultimately, Stanislaus excommunicated the king when he saw no evidence of real change. Enraged, King Boleslaus ordered his soldiers to kill the bishop. When they refused, the king killed Stanislaus with his own hands in the year 1079. Forced to leave his throne, Boleslaus reportedly spent the rest of his life at a Benedictine abbey in Hungary. Stanislaus is buried in the cathedral at Krakow. He was canonized in 1253. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. Um, this is uh, Monday of Holy Week, and uh, we are on our way toward Easter. But I would say there's no more uh, special week of the entire year than this one. And um, our Lord entered Jerusalem yesterday um, on the foal of an ass, on a colt, um, uh, and was cheered by all of Israel. Um, singing Hosanna to God in the highest, as the Psalms pre- uh, predicted that they would. But again, within a week, they will yell, crucify him. Um, they will not have this man to rule over them. It's very, very sad. Um, I know we sang with palm branches yesterday, but um, it for me, it's very, very difficult, very sad knowing, and for you too, that... Within a week, they will yell, crucify him, and he will be nailed to a cross for us, for us men and our salvation, for our sins. And beloved, regardless of how you've kept Lent, of what you've done all year or all your life for that matter, I would wish to urge you, I would beg you if I could, um, 
to uh, set this week aside. I know if you have to work and take care of your families and, and even prepare for Easter, but let this last week of Lent, this Holy Week, be very, very special. Uh, most especially if you're raising your children, you should help them walk every day with our Lord as he moves closer to the cross um, every day and especially during the Holy Triduum. I've asked many Catholics what the Triduum is and they do not know. It, it's just such a difficult time in the life of the Catholic Church. Triduum comes from two words, three days. Try is three deum days. Triduum, it's the three days. It's Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday. Holy Thursday, when our Lord had what we call the Last Supper, which is the last Passover supper, the Passover meal. Um, with his disciples in the upper room and instituted both the priesthood and the Holy Eucharist. It is, and, and the, uh, it, it, what could be more uh, incredible than that? He transferred the priesthood from the Old Testament to the New Testament priesthood in the New Covenant in his blood. And... Um, God never did away with the priesthood, um, uh, but uh, any more than he did away with the law. He didn't abolish the law, he fulfilled it. And the priesthood of Aaron pointed to the priesthood of Christ. Um, and he appointed uh, 12 to be priests um, in him. He is the high priest, and they are priests um, ordained by him they were actually the first bishops and every bishop they were the apostles, the bishops and every bishop today is a successor of the first apostles of the first bishops um, I wish every bishop had that in mind and kept that in their heart the incredible honor and more dreadful responsibility such a calling is and then the institution of the blessed sacrament our lord said i will be with you um, through all ages and he is in the blessed sacrament and people say oh god it's just a piece of bread it's only symbolic no it's not symbolic any more than our lord was symbolic he said well god is not bread you're right he's not a man either and you say, well, he did. He walked among us as Jesus, and he was God. That's right. He became man for us. And he took a further step of condescension and became our food. But God is neither a man nor food. But he became man through a virgin for us, that he could walk among us. 100% God and 100% man, not 50-50, but 100% of both. And he will remain our Lord Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, through all eternity. And he returned to the Father and remains with us in the holy sacrament of the altar, which is consecrated every day, uh, 24-7 throughout the world, from sunrise to sunset. Um, and we receive him a piece of bread made of water and wine 
which through the uh, hands of a holy priest, uh, an ordained priest, becomes God. And how could that happen? It happens through the words of consecration. When the priest holds up that little round wafer, which is weed and water, and says over the words, of, over that little piece of bread, the words of consecration, this is my body, this is my blood, to the, over the chalice. Bread becomes God, and wine becomes God. Bread becomes his body, his flesh, and wine becomes his blood. And in fact, either one is the whole Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. If one only receives the host, the host because it hosts our Lord, it is Christ, then you've received the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. If you receive only that from the chalice, which has now become the blood of Christ, you've received the whole Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And people say that's impossible. Well, what's impossible for God? Nothing. He created all that is. He spoke, let there be light, and there was. He spoke the world into being. He creates by his word. And um, it was St. Augustine, or it might have been another um, holy early church father who said at the last supper which was a passover meal jesus picked up the bread of the passover which in jewish uh, terms is called the bread of affliction he picked up matzah unleavened bread and he said over that bread this is my body and bread obeyed and it became his body and he picked up the wine of the passover supper and said this is my blood poured out for you do this in remembrance of me he was instructing those he who had made his priests what to do in remembrance of him and wine obeyed and became god um, and that was the last passover of the old covenant and the first passover or mass of the new covenant every old testament passover had a the flesh of a dead lamb on the passover table the lamb was killed in place of the people symbolically in the old testament people brought a lamb a one-year-old according to exodus 12 male lamb without blemish without spot in order to symbolize a holy offering for a holy god and they would put their hand on the head hold on a minute they put their hand on the i don't i don't have a little lamb around here i wish i did um but i uh, they would put their hand on the head let's say this is the lamb how can, can you see me let's see here this way they put their hand on the head of the lamb. Ah. <laughs> and it was symbolic of the sin passing from the individual on to that lamb. And that lamb who was innocent, but who symbolically had taken upon itself the sin of this person was slain and his blood shed on the altar as an offering for this person's sin. And the scripture tells us in Hebrews 
that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could never take away sin. Millions of lambs slain every Passover. Jerusalem was 4,000 feet up, and the hills were drenched with the blood of lambs. Every family had to bring a lamb for slaughter. Everyone. In commemoration of the first Passover that took place in Egypt in Exodus 12, where the angel of death flew over Egypt that night. And as a punishment, all the firstborn, which would be the eldest of every man and of cattle and of beast, would be slain as a punishment from God, the tenth plague. And the God, uh, excuse me, God told Moses to tell the Jewish people that they were to take a lamb, a male, a one-year-old lamb, without blemish, without spot, and they were to kill that lamb. And it was their lamb. They maybe had a name for it. It, may have been the, it was their best lamb. It had to be perfect without blemish, without spot. Again, to symbolize a perfect offering for a perfect and holy God. And they had to kill that lamb. And they put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts, on the lentils. Um, the lentil is the crossbar. Um, and when the angel of death flew over Egypt that night, all the firstborn of the land of Egypt were killed, including Pharaoh's son. But when the angel of death passed over the house of the Hebrews, he saw the blood, and so he passed over them. That's how it gets the name, Passover. The angel of death passed over the houses that had the blood of the lamb on the door, and the Israelites lived. And the millions of lambs that were slain in the law Every single day, there was a burnt offering with a lamb, and millions and millions of lambs for 1,500 years, from Moses to Christ, 1,500 years, millions of lambs were slain, and not one of them could take away sin. They were slain in obedience to God, in reparation for their sin, but they couldn't take away sin. They were dead animals. They had no power to change the heart. They had no power to save anybody, they were dead, but they were a sign. All of them, millions of them for 1,500 years were a sign who pointed to the one that one day would come and take upon himself, not the blood of a single, a single animal for a time, but the sin of all world, the whole world, man, woman, and child for all time was put on him. Um, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Beloved, the night I began to understand that changed my entire life. I have a crucifix, you see it, right here. And it was, here's our Lord, our blessed, blessed Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the sin of all the world placed on him Man, woman, and child, from the beginning of creation to the end of time, all the sins were placed on him. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and God put him to death in our stead for our sin. He was without sin, but became a sin offering for us, and he died for us that we could have life with God. But apart from the resurrection, there would be no life. He would just be a dead lamb, a dead
Savior. But he did what no other testament, Old Testament lamb could do. He rose from the dead to give life to all who will put their trust in him. Beloved, we'll be right back. Are you holding on to an old car or truck because you think dealers won't want it? Then consider donating it to the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. This is a great way to turn your unvalued vehicle into a powerful gift for Catholic Radio. You'll be taking part in our evangelization efforts to continue spreading Christ's love throughout the world. Our Lord uses Catholic Radio to draw more people to Himself, and one of the best ways to support the Station of the Cross is by contributing to our vehicle donation program. The process is safe and simple. Your generosity will greatly benefit our mission to bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners. To find out more or to donate your vehicle today, visit thestationofthecross.com or call 1-866-628-CARS. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-866-628-2277. Hey, Jim Havens here. I'm host of The Simple Truth, which airs every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. The focus of the show is authentically receiving, living, and handing on the simple truth of Jesus and his Catholic Church in a down-to-earth, no-nonsense manner. The guests are phenomenal, and each weekday has its own theme, always encouraging us to take the next step in our faith wherever we may be. It's The Simple Truth, every weekday from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Keep up to date with the shows we bring you each day on the Station of the Cross by viewing our programming grid on our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. I always am. And we're in a very, very special week, Holy Week. And I pray that you would take time um, this week, do everything you really need to do before Thursday so you can spend Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and Holy Saturday adoring our Lord, teaching your children um, what it means to be so privileged and so graced to be able to accompany our Lord through his sufferings, through his agony, to the cross and out the grave on Easter Sunday. Um, If all Easter Sunday is about is um, bunnies and eggs and jelly beans and all kinds of um, celebrations, you are robbing yourselves and robbing your children of the truths of God and the most glorious truth of all that he rose from the dead I've told the story of how 
my beloved Jews for Jesus organization really led me to Christ as I became an evangelical for the first 18 years of my Christian life and then blessed be God came into the fullness of Christianity in the Catholic Church but they kept telling me for a year and a half how he fulfilled the scriptures and died for our sins I finally came to believe it and it was a week or two later before I heard them say that he was alive and I said Wait, 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 wait. You told me he died. And they said, yeah, but he came out of the grave. And I said, why? Why didn't anybody say so? Everybody dies. Nobody comes out of the grave. That's the story. I was astounded. And the first Easter after that, I was in my Protestant church, and the pastor gave a wonderful homily on the fact that he died and suffered for us. And I called his office the next day and spoke to his secretary and I said, tell him to tell everybody he came out of the grave. There's no Christianity apart from the resurrection. So it, it's so special, beloved. Um, uh, call in with anything, anything on your heart. Uh, toll free one 877 5143 or email at mother at You can text at that number as well. We have an email from someone who um, identifies herself or himself as M, M as in Miriam, and, and says, Hello, Mother Miriam, I'm a new listener, and, spoiler alert, I am Protestant, with a little smiley face, aren't you cute? However, she says, or he says, 15 years ago, I needed something more for our children during the Christmas season. I knew about Advent, but discovered Epiphany through an online Catholic site. Years later, we got Sirius XM in our vehicle, is it Sirius, I guess, XM in our vehicle, and I discovered the Catholic Channel. I've been slowly learning more and more about Catholicism. Currently, I am in Year two with Father Mike Schmidt's Bible in a year. Wonderful. I have had a Catholic Bible for years and have been reading my Bible since I was a child. I am not writing to be disagreeable. I am sincere in my question about your statement about Mary's virginity, her vow, her vow of virginity. Luke 1 is very clear that she already was espoused to Joseph when Gabriel came to her. How could she have both a vow of virginity as well as a plan to marry a man? Thanks. I do enjoy your program very much. Signs at M. Um, she can. There, you know there are today um, couples who marry under special dispensation under what is called a Josephite vow. And that is the vow that both Mary and, G- and Joseph took to remain virgins. And so um, it was that Joseph was chosen to be uh, her husband, um, not, um, not through a, um, the intimacy of marriage, but through um, a right ceremony making him her husband. Uh, in order that she could be um, protected and honored. In other words, that um, she would be respected in Israel. She wouldn't be a single woman that 
people could see as available, uh, or again, she would be very protected by him. But it does not mean that she had children. In the Gospel of Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew writes that uh, Jesus, that Joseph kept her, um, or that she was kept a virgin. I should look it up here. I will. Matthew 1. She was kept a virgin until she gave birth to Jesus. Hold on. I think it's the very, very last. Um, um, yes. <clears throat> Let me read this. Hold on. Just a moment. Um, the birth of... Uh, I'm so sorry. Um, okay. Okay, here we go. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now betrothed is prior to being married. It is, a, um, it is truly a bond. Um, it is, if you, if you break your relationship, um, if you break the betrothal, it's, it, it, I think, pretty close to comparable to being divorced. Um, but it wasn't a final marriage. She had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. But as he considered this, <clears throat> behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, quote, Behold a virgin, that's Isaiah, behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had borne a son, and he called his name Jesus. Just a second now. Okay. Um, the problem is, and from my Protestant years, we said he knew her not until she had born a son and he called his name Jesus. That, um, in my Protestant years, we took that to mean, well, he knew her after. In other words, following the birth of Jesus, following the virgin birth, they had children. Or Joseph knew his wife in an intimate way. Um, but that's not true. And the word until does not mean that something happened therefore after. Um, in the Old Testament, um, David's wife, one of his wife, Michal, uh, God punished her for mocking David and uh, when he was dancing before the ark and adoring God. And she mocked him. And God punished her and said, uh, she will be childless until her death. Well, my goodness, she certainly didn't have children after she died. Until means up to that point. It doesn't necessarily mean something happened after that. We use it that way today, but it's not so. Uh, Joseph knew her not 
until she had born a son, and he called his name Jesus. So he knew her not until she had, up to that point, she had born a son. In other words, it was the virgin birth, and she was kept a virgin. Um, And in fact, uh, if you look at all the Protestant, most of the reformers, um, Calvin and Luther, they absolutely believed in the virgin birth. So, um, um, so that's one thing, and I think M um, understands that. But the tradition is, this is not scriptural, but it's traditional that Mary had made a vow of virginity. Why? She, number one, which as a Protestant uh, I did not understand, Mary was conceived without sin. It was a singular grace. What happens to us in our baptism, cleansed from original sin, happened with Mary the very moment of her conception. From her mother Anne's womb, she was preserved free from the original sin of Adam and Eve. At the very moment of her conception is a singular grace that God gave Mary. She was born without original sin. She lived her life without original sin. And she was holy, um, the most uh, beautiful creature God ever made, a human being. And um, she, from an early age, was dedicated in the temple. And the tradition is that she took a vow of virginity. And the tradition further says that she vowed her virginity in reparation for her people Israel, for Israel's sin. And so Mary was born a virgin and she remained, she remained a virgin. I hope uh, that helps, my dear sister or brother with the initial M. I hope that helps. Let me remind you again that you're welcome to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483. And um, we have another email from Cynthia. Cynthia says, Mother Miriam, may God bless everything you do. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Um, And she writes, when we visit my Catholic father, he says things in front of my children. They are 14, 12, 11, and 7. He says things that contradict what we teach our children. And I feel he does this because we practice traditional Catholicism and attend a Latin Mass. The most recent comment was that he made in front of you and your children. I don't believe in the devil. He also uses the name of God in vain frequently. Now, you, you're saying that he, um, he's kind of resentful or aggravated because you go to the Latin Mass, but he claims to be Catholic, and he's not speaking what is Catholic. Uh, any Catholic would believe in the devil and would not use the name of God in vain, not if his faith is real. And Cynthia says, should I correct him immediately after such comments in front of the children? Or how do I make sure the children understand he is wrong? Or how should I speak about it afterward to the children without disrespecting him? Well, to begin with, uh, Cynthia, if you have not already spoken to your father about it, speak to him before the next visit with your children and say, Dad... um, I don't want to be disrespectful to you in front of the children, but they, if you didn't claim to be Catholic and you 
uh, negated Catholic beliefs, we could explain that to the children, that you're simply not Catholic, but you claim to be Catholic. And if you claim to be Catholic and say you don't believe in the devil, that contradicts everything that the Catholic Church teaches and that we profess at our baptism um, and our confirmation that we believe um, um, we renounce Satan and all his pomps. We believe that. We say it. So, Dad, uh, if you really don't, I would ask you not to make it verbal in front of the children. I would also suggest that you may not be Catholic anymore, Dad. And um, and then again, if he um, uses the name in God in vain, say that's a serious sin, Dad. That's very serious. It's against uh, the commandments to not take the Lord our, uh, the Lord's name in vain. And you're doing this is very uh, damaging to the children because they think you're Catholic, but it's extremely damaging, Dad, to your own soul. Could you refrain from those things when we visit? There's the music, Cynthia. I'll continue with one thought further when we come back from the break. We'll be right back. This is Jim Havens, one of your hosts for the upcoming Station of the Cross 2022 Spring On-Air Appeal, taking place May 2nd through May 6th. The theme is Save the Family, as there is no doubt we must do everything we can to strengthen families, especially in this time. Authentically living and handing on the Catholic faith is at the very heart of that vital mission. To donate, call 1-877-711-8500 Go to thestationofthecross.com, use the donation page of the iCatholic Radio app, or return the envelope from our recent Spring Appeal mailing. That's 1-877-711-8500 or thestationofthecross.com. I look forward to being with you every day at 4 p.m. Eastern, May 2nd through May 6th on the Station of the Cross. Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I'm a widower parent of three almost adults and listen to you guys around the clock. Father McTigg, Society of Jesus, he's wonderful. Mother Miriam, of course, the Divine Office and many other great things that Station of the Cross does. So thanks very much for your great work. I had a friend at work email me and tell me about the Station of the Cross a couple months after it started. And I was so excited, I tuned into it and I found that I love the Catholic Station. If you've been blessed, by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved. This is our last segment. We have 10 minutes plus, and I urge you, I don't urge you, I welcome you to call in. The lines are always open, and we welcome your calls toll-free or your text at that number, one 511 5483 or email at mother at We're uh, right in the middle of an email from Cynthia who writes, Mother Miriam, may God bless everything you do. When we visit my Catholic father, he says things in front of my children, 14, 12, 11, and 7 years, that contradict what we teach our children. I feel he does this because we practice traditional Catholicism and attend a Latin Mass. And Cynthia, I've already commented some, and I won't repeat that, but um, I think he has other problems with the Catholic Church. Uh, For him to be saying he doesn't believe in the devil and um, to use God's name in vain, I'm suggesting he's uh, Catholic in name only at this point and doesn't know it. And you might help him through your love and patience to repent and go to confession this Easter. Um, and so she said, should I correct him immediately after such comments in front of the children? You should not correct him in front of the children. Um, you, again, have that conversation with him before the next visit, either on the phone before you live, uh, before you leave, rather, or in, in some way before, uh, before he begins such things with in front of the children and say, Papa, I, I, I just can't bring them here if you're going to do that. If you claim to be a pagan, if you claim to no longer believe in the Catholic faith and you say those things, then I can help my children to know, to pray for you, that you don't believe, but you're claiming to be a Catholic and talking against the faith, talking against using God's name in vain. It's very serious, um, but very serious for your soul. I would tell him that. And if he says, I don't believe in the devil in front of your children, um, uh, you can say, you know, Dad, I'm not sure why you want to say that. Um, We respect that you don't believe in the devil, but the Catholic Church certainly does teach that there's a devil and also teaches we shouldn't use God's name in vain. So, and let it go. So... I I think you can say something like that if he insists in front of your children. Dad, we respect your beliefs. Um, You do claim to be Catholic, but the Catholic Church teaches such and such or doesn't teach such and such. In a low voice, no anger, and let the conversation go or change it if you can. Um, And you say, how uh, should I speak about it afterward to the children without disrespecting him? Just say, children, Grandpa is... um, um, he needs our prayers. He needs our help. For some reason, he's losing some of his faith, and we need to pray for him. Let's include him in our rosary. Okay. Philip's on the line from Chicago. Hi, Philip. Yes, Mother Mary. I want to have you have a happy uh, Easter and a happy Passover as well. God bless you. I'm ethnically Jewish. I was Protestant for a while, but... You know what? I figured to myself, what am I going to do? Jump around? I was evangelical uh, free church. What am I going to do? Jump around Protestant denominations and non-denominationals for the rest of my life. So I decided to convert to Catholicism because I found it to be 
biblically correct. Correct. Yeah. Yes, I'm reading uh, uh, First Thessalonians, you know, tradition. They didn't have a Bible in New Testament and Old Testament days, the first century Jewish Catholic Church, Jewish Church evolved into the Catholic Church. That's right, and Paul exhorted them to um, uh, obey what he said, whether by <clears throat> word of, uh, whether by written or oral word. So yes, second Peter letter. Was Go the ahead. apostle to the Jews, and uh, Peter was the <clears throat> Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Right, right, and Peter to the Jews. Philip, when did you come into the church? I'm, I'm going to be confirmed this uh, Saturday. I wish I could yeah, be there. Visit. God bless you, Philip. God I, I, bless you. Well, well, you can't. I'm going to be in Chicago on um, Easter Vigil. It's going to be taking place at. Um, well, I, I'll tell you if we're off the air. If we're going to be all right. Chicago, I don't want to say it on, on air. All right, sweetheart. Um, well, you know, I will be praying for you now, right through the Easter Vigil, and our, my heart will be with you um, on Saturday night. I'm, I came into the church also on Easter Vigil, 1995. It's been a few years, but I, I still, um, I, I don't think I'll ever get over <clears throat> that God helped me to see the f- true fulfillment of Judaism and the full measure of Christianity. I'm so pleased. And Philip, you know, when you wished a happy Easter and Passover, Pesach, that this Friday is heir of Pesach, right? It is the first evening of Passover. Passover begins a full day on Saturday, but the Jewish holidays, holy days, the Jewish day, always begins at sundown the day before. So Friday, which is our Good Friday, begins Passover. And it's it's so incredible to me when this comes together because... It's the day that the Passover lamb, the true Passover lamb, was killed on the cross. And the Jews refused to know, believe who he was. And they killed the true Passover lamb before sundown in order to celebrate their Passover with umpteen uh, animals. So um, it's very special because this holy Good Friday will be the Jewish celebration of Passover when the Passover lambs traditionally were killed and this Passover lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ, rose from the dead on Sunday, which this year is truly Easter. It's so beautiful when it comes together like that. I want to say um, with you, Philip, if anyone is Jewish, you can be evangelical, but you have a Jewish background and you're listening um, Take a look at Roy Shoman, who is an Orthodox Jew, calls himself an entrant into the Catholic Church. He doesn't call himself a convert because the Jewish people are waiting for the Messiah to come. And when he comes, it's the most Jewish thing to do to believe in him. You don't have to convert. And so he's an entrant. He came into the full measure of Judaism in the Catholic Church, and he calls Catholicism post-Messic post-Messianic Judaism, that is, Judaism, fulfilled in its Messiah, spread to the four corners of the earth. It's very, very special. So Roy has written two books. I don't know if you're familiar with them, Philip, but one is Salvation is from the Jews, and he takes um, God's um, 
uh, election of the Jewish people from Abraham, um, Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham, right through to the second coming. People say the Jews rejected Christ, so the gospel went to the Gentiles. Absolutely not. There'd be no church if the Jews rejected Christ. God has always based everything he's done on a remnant. It was only Joshua and Caleb that went into the Holy Land, that went... Um, and Moses and the whole generation died off in the desert. So uh, Joshua and Caleb led the new generation into the Holy Land. God has, oh Gideon, God has always used a remnant. And the um, church was founded on the apostles and prophets. Um, we just talked about Holy Thursday, the institution of the priesthood um, and the Holy Eucharist. Um, at the Last Supper, which was the last Passover Supper and became the first Mass. Um, it's so beautiful, Philip. The second book that anyone could look at is Honey from the Rock, edited by Roy Showman. My story's in there. My brother David's story's in there. Sixteen Jews' stories are in there. And David is now president of the Association of Hebrew Catholics all over the world. Philip, uh, you can hear the music. It's the end of the program. God bless you. God bless all of you. And we will speak with you, God willing, tomorrow.